Over the last 10 weeks, we've covered the 175 years of Abraham's life. Uh, And today we read how he died. In fact, we read it twice over. Uh, It says, at a good old age, full of years, gathered to his people, buried by his sons, buried beside the body of his wife, Sarah, uh, which we looked at uh, last week. Uh, Death is always a transition. It's a lot of things, but it's at least a transition. Uh, Transition from breathing to not breathing, uh, from suffering to rest, uh, from this life to the next. Uh, And in this case, it's a transition from Abraham to his sons. Uh, Do you notice that all around those few verses in the middle that speak quietly of Abraham's death, everything else is written about his sons? So verses 1 to 6 are about the six sons that he fathers to his new wife, Keturah, after Sarah's death. Uh, in verses 7 to 11, where it talks about Abraham's death, it, it makes special mention of his first two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, by his side. Uh, and then verses 12 to 18, which I've just finished reading, they are about the sons of, uh, of one of those sons, of Ishmael, uh, Abraham's firstborn. And then we stopped reading, but if you cast your eyes further down the page... Uh, The rest of the chapter is about the sons of Isaac, the other son. Uh, And then the whole rest of Genesis really is a family tree, a genealogy, uh, written in detail about Isaac's children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and then even making mention of uh, there being at least three generations beyond that. And then you turn the page and we get to Exodus and and the story continues. It's a family story. Uh, In 14 chapters of Genesis... Uh, between chapter 12 to 25, uh, God has spoken to Abraham many times over. Uh, It's one of the themes. God keeps speaking to Abraham and he keeps saying uh, a lot of the same things. He, uh, He promises and repeats his promises many times over and every vision is slightly different, every formula of words is uh, slightly unique Uh, But there are common themes, and the common themes uh, are these, that God will bless Abraham and all the world through him. Uh, And then there are two concrete material things that God promises to Abraham. So there's this general banner of blessing, and then there's these two concrete material things. First is that Abraham and his family will possess the land of Canaan. And then the second thing is that children and nations will come from Abraham's body. He will be the father uh, of a son and of many nations. Uh, So the land and the nations. And then these closing chapters of Abraham's life are written as proof of God's faithfulness to keep his promise. It's written very deliberately like that. It's it's constructed. Uh, God says again and again, you will have uh, this land you will have sons and nations. You will have this land, you will have sons and nations. And then when Sarah dies in chapter 23, we're coming to the end, Abraham purchased the first bit of actual real estate in the land uh, and they get some land. And now when Abraham dies, the whole narrative really is written to emphasise God's faithfulness to give Abraham the son and the family and the nations that he promised. That's why there's all these names that are hard to say and that you might not recognise. It's emphasising, it's laying on thick that Abraham has the son and the family and the nations that God has promised. God has kept his word. So there's a few lessons uh, as we break down the passage, a few lessons to give you just up front. There's lessons about God's faithfulness in here, Uh, his absolute stone-cold reliability. He is faithful. 
Uh, there's lessons uh, in here about God's plan, his plan for your life, his grand plan uh, for the world, for salvation, for the nations, God's grand plan. Uh, there's lessons about loving your neighbour. Uh, and then uh, there is the question raised by the old Sunday school song uh, that some of you will know, Am I a son of Abraham? Do you remember the song? Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them and so are you, so let's all praise the Lord. Right hand in. This song serves as a pretty nifty little outline actually for Genesis chapter 25. Uh, And so I'm going to break it up uh, with a couple of tweaks. But Father Abraham had many sons. I mean, this is the theme, isn't it? This is, I've already pointed this out. This is what chapter 25 is essentially about. Uh, The main, uh, the high point or the low point, if you like, is Abraham's death, but all around it, sons, 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 sons. He had many sons. And the lesson is, above all, of God's absolute rock-solid faithfulness. God is reliable. God keeps his word. Abraham was a hundred years old before he had his son Isaac. Uh, And then sons and sons and more sons. Do you remember uh, chapter 23? Uh, Last week, uh, when Abraham's wife Sarah died, I've made this point already, out of the whole chapter we're told, without flourishes in chapter 23, uh, that Sarah dies and is mourned and is buried. And then in extraordinary detail for the rest of chapter 23, the vast bulk of the chapter we are told of the exact negotiations, price and the deal that Abraham entered into to purchase the land for her burial. Uh, And the lesson was that if so much space is given uh, to recording the purchase of the land, then the purchase of the land must be a significant thing. Uh, And as I've pointed out already, it it is theologically, uh, and in terms of God's faithfulness, it is a very significant thing. It's only a little plot of land, but it's the first plot of land, and it's the first bit of what God has promised. And so so now remember that the other concrete promise to Abraham alongside the land was that Abraham would father a son and many nations. And then again, we have almost this repeated formula in chapter 25 where we get told in very small detail, not very much, what I mean is not very great detail about Abraham's death and his burial uh, and that his family mourns him. But then just swathes and verses about sons, 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 sons. And so now again, at the time of his death, the author reminds us that God absolutely kept his word to Abraham. That is what God is like. He is a God who keeps his word. Uh, By telling us about Abraham's sons right before he tells us of Abraham's death, and then by telling us about his sons surrounding him at his death, and then by after having recorded Abraham's death, continuing to expand on the generations and the sons that follow, uh, the author is telling us that God keeps his word. Not only did Abraham father Ishmael uh, when he cut corners uh, with his wife's maidservant Hagar, he fathered Isaac, the son who was promised to him by name, to Sarah, his wife. And then after Sarah's death, uh, taking a second wife, Keturah, he fathers six more legitimate sons. And then if you read in the details there, um, it goes into further detail about some of those sons' sons and the nations that follow. There's a lot of names in here. Uh, They're foreign, they're hard to say. 
Most of them get lost to history, but some of them, if you pay attention and if you've read other portions of your Bible, some of those names do reappear in later narratives. And they are the names, when they reappear, not of men, they are the names of nations. Reminding us again of God's faithfulness to Abraham, that whole nations would descend from him. Uh, Midian is one of them that appears in verse 2. It's probably the most easily recognisable if you continue to read. Uh, Midian is a nation that gets mentioned a lot, uh, but there's others in there too. Uh, So God is faithful to Abraham. God is extravagantly faithful to Abraham. And God is uh, materially faithful to Abraham. God blesses him materially. And in Abraham, we are, I believe we are, led to expect that this is a kind of a principle. Uh, Not a guarantee, but a principle that God's faithful chosen ones, following God's instructions, will enjoy God's faithfulness in terms of their daily bread, Uh, and family, and perhaps even long life, like Abraham gets. Uh, But also, please remember that although Abraham uh, receives an awful lot of God's blessings in the immediacy of his life on earth, he sees a lot of uh, checks being cashed, even in his lifetime, even for Abraham, there are decades of waiting uh, and testing and danger and mistakes are made and grace is received, and time is stretching out. And so we have in this theme of, of Abraham's life, this, this, uh, this theme, this principle of delayed gratification. Uh, it's a principle that is built into uh, the fabric of God's creation. It's how he has built things to work best. We want peace and prosperity now, and when we get glimpses of it now, we should rejoice and give thanks to God. If you have a good day, praise God. You had a good day. That's great. But we also shouldn't be surprised at being asked to wait for good things. And waiting for something almost never made it worse. Waiting almost never makes a thing worse. Dessert is better in its place after dinner. Sex is better in its place after marriage. Wealth is better in its place after accomplishment. Heaven will be better than all of these things put together. And we wait. Another short comment on Abraham's death. Uh, The passage lays on thick uh, that he's old. He lives to a good old age. And it seems to be a good thing that he gets to live so long. And we are to take this as a sign of God's blessing to him. Uh, It says in verse 7, These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Uh, And then verse 8 gives good vibes of rest well earned by a tired, very old man. Abraham breathed his last like a sigh. He died in a good old age. An old man, full of years. He comes uh, as a sense of relief after many years of long labour. And it says he was gathered to his people. He returns to the dust that he was made from to lie in a tomb by his wife. Uh, He gets riches. He gets good health. He gets long life and a quiet, peaceful death surrounded by family. It's not a bad thing to aim at. Not a bad thing at all. All of these things, riches, long life, good health, all of them have levers that we can pull on to increase our chances of getting them. Um, 
You know, you can work hard for riches. You can watch your health uh, for long life and good health. Uh, And if you get through, uh, if you get these things, if you achieve them through hard work, then great. If you receive them by grace alone or by gift of genetics or birthright or something, praise God, lucky you. And if you don't get them, if you don't get good long life, happy days, riches, health, so what? You have good company, actually, really good company. Jesus died prematurely, wrongly convicted, alone, naked, on display for shame. John the Baptist, the man who Jesus called the greatest man to ever live, didn't breathe his, life, his last breath in peace, an old man full of years. He died in obscurity in prison at the petulant whim of Herod's wife. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul tells us uh, that five times he received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one, three times he was beaten with rods, one time he was pelted with stones, three times he was shipwrecked, he was constantly on the move, he was in constant danger from rivers, from bandits, from fellow Jews and from Gentiles. He often went without the basics of food, water, shelter and sleep. And he too died a prisoner. Was Abraham, for his 175 years and his quiet last breath and his many days, was Abraham more blessed than Jesus, John or Paul? Or were they more blessed than him? Or is it just the fact that material wealth and long life and comfort are something more like a lottery? You know, don't we have by now enough evidence before us to know that God is faithful no matter what? No matter what. Don't you dare question him. Do you know how arrogant it is to question God for not giving you more than your neighbour when we deserve and can expect no better from this world than what was given to our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ? So let's hang in there. Let's celebrate the good stuff. Let's, you know, rejoice in a long life lived full and well. And let's take what we're given by God and never doubt his goodness. Let's endure the hard, let's die in our time and let's praise God to the end. Father Abraham had many sons, Isaac's one of them, number one. Perhaps you notice that in a chapter supposedly again about Abraham's death, but more significantly about his sons, Isaac gets special mention uh, several times. Uh, Verse 6, it says Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. Not necessarily recommended. Verse 7, all Abraham's other sons are considered separately receiving gifts, but ultimately sent away so that the land would be Isaac's without rival. Isaac. Verse 9, it is Isaac alongside Ishmael who is there to bury their father. And in verse 11, it's really interesting, it says, after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac. There's that transition. Everything that was Abraham's becomes Isaac's, including not only the wealth, but God's divine, deliberate blessing and his promise to uh, hand over a nation and to see all nations blessed through him. Isaac is number one. And I want to just remind you that this is God's plan. Uh, this, uh, I want to remind you where this fits in the Bible as a whole unfolding story. Because if we were writing a holy book... Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't think for me it would be obvious to write mainly about family trees. It seems like names get a lot of airtime in the book of Genesis and in later books in the Bible. 
If I was doing it and I had the insight, maybe there'd be a bit more psychology or life hacks and maybe a bit more stuff for ancient times about basic hygiene or something. Um, The prophecies would be clearer. Uh, The heroes would be greater, less compromised, surely. But I don't think we would put so much family tree in there. I don't think I would. But that's my wisdom. And I'm not here advocating for mine. But here it is. Why, Why so many family trees? Here's the story. Okay, Genesis chapter 1, God makes humans, male and female, in his image and he commands them to multiply. Genesis 2, we learn uh, that man number 1 and woman number 1 have names, Adam and Eve. And God gives them the gift of eternal life if they enjoy all he has made and stay away from just one single tree with all the other trees in the garden at their disposal. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin gravely against God and death becomes the destiny of every man and woman, along with hard labour, uh, in every sense of the word, hard, la- hard work and difficult births. Uh, but when God is speaking in Genesis chapter 3 to the serpent who had deceived the man and woman, uh, God, says to him that the woman, God says to the serpent that the woman's offspring will one day crush the serpent's head even as the serpent strikes at his heel. And so we read the next chapter in Genesis chapter 4 to learn about the woman's offspring. Will he crush the head? Will he defeat sin? And we discover in Genesis chapter 4, there's two offspring of the woman, Cain and Abel. And Cain promptly kills Abel. So we're without hope because the offspring doesn't do what he's designed to live up to. The offspring fails to conquer the beast. And then a third son is born, Seth. But he succumbs to the curse as well and he dies. And mankind spread and they're all equal. Uh, They're all equally bad, but one, Noah. So God begins all over again with Noah. But Noah, this son of the woman, also takes the forbidden fruit, disgracing himself with drunkenness, and he succumbs to death. And so on and on we go. And as humans spread, we continue to follow just this single family thread that God draws out with his highlighter through the pages of Genesis. And right now, we're here with Abraham, and God has again drawn out his highlighter, and he's marked out, okay, of all of Abraham, Isaac. Let's follow him. And then from Isaac, Jacob and Esau, and God says, Jacob. And then from Jacob, 12 sons, God says, Judah. And we follow down. You turn page after page, And we meet disappointment after disappointment. And then when we finally come to Jesus, the genealogies genealogies appear again. But this time they go backwards. They show us where Jesus has come from. And they prove that he is of the same line. And then with Jesus, as the serpent strikes at him one last time on the cross, he crushes sin with his own sacrifice and he defeats death by rising again. He crushes the serpent once and for all, so we no longer need to fear or even strive because the victory has been won. And the genealogies stop because the story is complete. And that is God's plan. This is why we've got Jacob highlighted, is to follow through to Jesus. Feel free to tune in next year sometime when we pick up again from the middle of Genesis to fill in another of the gap. Gaps between Abraham and Jesus. 
Father Abraham had many sons, Isaac's one of them, and so are you. Although we'll come back to that. So let's all praise the Lord. You know the song. Uh, When we have Abraham producing whole nations, but then just one nation who is chosen through Isaac, how should Isaac's family and the Jews have thought about the other nations? How should they have thought about the other nations? Because maybe, uh, maybe you're with me here and, and you've come at this with a bit of context. You've grown up in church, you've heard a lot of New Testament stuff and you're familiar with the fact that by the time we get to the New Testament in particular, it's pretty clear that the Jewish people uh, who have descended through Abraham and Isaac, they have become pretty jaded towards the other nations through years and centuries of oppression. They don't typically look kindly on the neighbouring nations or particularly the occupying Romans and it's not really a surprise. It feels almost uh, on some of the pages of the New Testament like a kind of a snobbishness. Not almost, oftentimes it really is snobbishness. Although the years of struggles and mistreatment help us understand that a little bit better, the Jews in Jesus' day weren't exactly the privileged power brokers cruelly lording over and oppressing the nations. That's not at all the picture we get. They were beat down and hard done by and so in their own private huddles were sneering uh, at the people around them. I generalise, of course, but generalisations aren't all unhelpful. That's certainly the picture we get in the New Testament. Uh, and, and now look again at verse 18. I don't have it up here, but Genesis chapter 25, verse 18. It's the last verse that we read today. It's talking about Ishmael's family, uh, the, particularly the rival son to Isaac. Uh, having fathered 12 sons and tribes of his own, it says in verse 18 uh, that Ishmael's family settled opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. If you're familiar with the rest of the Old Testament, that's warning bells because the Assyrians become the enemies. Uh, Ishmael, it says, settled over against all his kinsmen. This all gives the very strong impression that there is bitterness between brothers and family, which isn't surprising from what we know about the beginnings of their home life, if you were with us several weeks ago. But I do want to make this really, really clear. Uh, This chapter isn't written to promote division. It's written for the opposite purpose. It's written to help us recognise that they're all family. And so division is the wrong take-home from this story. Now, as I've said, giving all that you have to one son probably isn't the wisest succession planning under normal circumstances. It's rarely going to set a family up for success after you're gone. But as far as Isaac and his offspring, who are the intended audience of this text, are concerned... They are, meant to see, they are meant to see the nations around them. Uh, they're meant to recognise the names on this page uh, in their own family tree uh, and, uh, and the names of the nations in their own family tree. And they're meant to love them because they are their brothers. Let's all praise the Lord. Together, we are one. God's plan through Abraham was to create one nation through Isaac, through whom all nations would be blessed, not crushed, blessed, lifted up, saved. The serpent is the enemy. The nations are your family. Your neighbour is your brother. 
Now, in verse 18, it makes it clear that Ishmael and his descendants will become Isaac and Ishmael and, and Israel's enemies. But that's on them. The role of the Jewish nation was to possess only what, what, what God, uh, possess only what was given them by God and to grow through peace and blessing. To defend themselves when necessary, but not to oppress the nations, certainly not to oppress their own people, because, which they became guilty of. They weren't to turn the nations away from their cities. They weren't to turn foreigners away from their tables. But now as Abraham's descendants were invited to look around at the nations and recognise their brethren, uh, on a macro scale for us, by going back here and then by stepping back a few chapters even further, back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we are required to do the same. There is no race greater or worse than any other. Oppression on racial grounds is absolutely out of the question for a Christian person. It's normal in humanity. It's happened, you know, since forever. But it is out of the question for a Christian person because your neighbour is your brother. Uh, Maybe you've heard another version of the Father Abraham song. Uh, It's been rewritten. Father Abraham had many sons. Uh, I am one of them and so are you through faith in Jesus Christ. It's actually a pretty good rewriting of the song, I think. Uh, The old Sunday school song, it's gone through a revision uh, because it might be a bit presumptuous to point at one another willy-nilly and say, oh, we're all sons of Abraham, uh, when in fact some are not. What makes one a son of Abraham? Who, who are they? Well, we met one in today's Gospel reading, uh, by chance or design, uh, in Luke chapter 19. Do you remember Zacchaeus? Uh, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And at the end, uh, after Jesus invites himself over into Zacchaeus's home, and everyone's been a bit snobby, well, why, why would you go to Zacchaeus's home? He's a tax collector, he's a traitor, he's a bad guy. Jesus, at the end... In verse 10, I think it was, said, Salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. The words that Jesus used. Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham. What made him a son of Abraham? He was a Jewish man. So he was Abraham's descendant through Isaac. So in that respect, he's a son of Abraham. But let's have a look at this. This is to close. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 to 9. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's back in chapter 15 of Genesis. This is a quote. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith, of belief, who are the sons of Abraham. Not by birth, not by blood. It's got nothing to do with DNA and everything to do with faith. This is a whole nation's blessing thing. It's, a, it's not a nationally divided thing, thank God, because very few of us likely have Jewish blood in us. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And that's what made Zacchaeus the son of Abraham, because otherwise Jesus would have said he is not a true son of Abraham. But he is a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus sought Jesus. Zacchaeus repented of his sins. 
Uh, Zacchaeus, uh, sinful as he had been in his life to that point, he put his faith and he staked his reputation and he sacrificed his wealth all in the name of Jesus. And that's what made Zacchaeus a man of faith and a child of Abraham. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, your abundant blessing to Abraham. Uh, It is an encouragement to uh, look at this man who you spoke to and nurtured and shepherded uh, and who who you rewarded. Uh, Father, we uh, we thank you that uh, in this story of Abraham, uh, we can even find ourselves. uh, That through faith, you've given everyone an opportunity from every nation through Jesus uh, to share in those blessings that uh, you set in, in train through Abraham. Uh, we pray that you will grant us the gift of faith to, you know, like Zacchaeus, stake uh, our reputation and sacrifice our wealth and repent of our sins in the name of Jesus. Uh, help us uh, to uh, stand fast and hold firm. Uh, help us to love our neighbours, for they are our brothers. Uh, and help us to uh, rejoice in you and praise you uh, for your uh, great plan that you worked out through Christ for us and the nations. Amen.